0: Into the technical aspects, right? Of it,
1: but you said something. In order to keep up, yeah, curiosity and and being on a learning trajectory is almost fundamental. Yes. So, and that is not that is something that is sort of an indirect capability that is yeah. not really in your CV. So, what are the markers that helps you understand? Will they be on a good trajectory? Because, you know, they've done something in school and now I'm going to put them in our context. Yeah. And there will be stuff they have seen, but there will be a lot of new stuff for them. So their ability to learn fast and pick that up is quite important, right? Yeah. And this is one of the key topics now. If this is, you know, communication skills, technology skills, and learning trajectory curiosity, you know, three main topics. The one is the, the soft one is difficult. Is that summarizing like a lot of the thinkings here yeah. right now?
0: And How it's, you, oh, sorry. I continue. Because communication skills is something that you probably can get a sample of time on, but the trajectory is much harder. And as we were discussing recently, like you have to be aware of what people generally talk about in the scene, what people are expected to, you know, if you're part of the current conversation on machine learning and AI, which you probably are if you're interested in the topic, What are you expected to sort of know at this point in time? Um, Do you have a view on that?
1: Do you have to have, I mean, like you're starting to build this view simply by a couple of interviews now, I guess.
0: Yeah. I'm (laughs) getting more and more humble (laughs) on this, especially since they started opening up the new uh, master programs. Um, Because I don't, I did not go to those master programs, so I don't know what's thought thought on on them.
2: But also when you are interviewing more junior people yeah. <coughs> that don't have working experience potentially it's hard sometimes to measure also the skills from a more technical point of view and there are also these kind of um cliches about you know you shouldn't hire for skill you should ha- hire for attitude and yeah. it's more about you know the potential the kind of potential level of intelligence in some way or curiosity as you mentioned and the ability to quickly learn and want to learn more, you know. Um, do you have any thoughts about h- how to measure that in some way when speaking to more junior people? Can you get some sense if a person mm. is, you know, he may be able to remember some facts from a textbook, but in reality, he doesn't really understand them. But that's what you're trying to
0: gauge. Gauge, yeah. usually. And I, I haven't found a ticket yet, but just trying to find what they're mostly interested in. Because if you can find uh, their, their biggest technical depth uh, and prod around what they've been looking around in that depth. Mm. Um, so this is a good, good place to start. Fortunately, there's a lot of people do thesis at companies that uh, they weren't that interested in doing. Um, but if you can find that thing, um, it's 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 usually easier
1: but uh, i i heard something that is i think a quite good tip if i if i try to understand it it's like by taking the 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 interview down in like what are you passionate about yeah. and what have you been what what have you been interested in learning more about and then you see Do they light up? How do they respond to that question? Is it a shallow answer or do do they love and go down a rabbit hole? And can you, then in a way you get, you're gauging how they're responding to that question in what way, you know, how they would they respond to, I guess that's what you're doing to some degree, right?
0: And doing, which we of course have been doing, doing interview, not in person. Makes it really hard because I mean, what you physically meet them, physically yeah. meet them, because yeah. I mean the just getting to a comfortable space. You have to always uh, interview where everyone should be at a comfortable space, because yeah. otherwise they're not going to open up.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think you know, especially for for me, you know, these days I'm. I'm uh, during my current, you know, position, and, and when we do interviews, you know, we have a lot of focus on the psychology side of things, and we have professional psychologists to speak and and, and do mm-hmm. a lot of other thinking. And I must say, I, I think these aspects are normally not uh, taken in con- consideration uh, enough. And mm-hmm. I think these aspects is, is really interesting. So I have at least in in recent time become very much more interested in the soft sides, the soft skills that people have. Um, and, and and that is I think super important to actually have a person that is not only knowledgeable but also can work together in a team and be um contributor to, to a positive and you know constructive atmosphere in some way. Is that something you think about? Like
0: the, the more attitude and, and the more you know, psychology side of the personality that people may have? Of course I, I think about that, but fortunately that's it's not my that's not the kind of interviews that I've been Focused yeah, because you, you, you have
1: I, in the interview process, there are several different interviews yeah. and there are other people who have been sort of focusing on those dimensions. Yeah. yeah. Cool. But you're hiring
2: for a number of interns then. Do you have any specific projects in, in mind already in ShipStat, what they will work, work,
0: work with? So last summer we hired in, uh, interns to do a really interesting transfer learning task. Yeah. Um, I don't know what we will do. We're probably focusing more on doing data engineering yeah. tasks this summer, um, which poses sort of a more bigger challenges because it's harder maybe to make a data engineering task self-coherent. Um, mm. well, we haven't set, set up the task to do yet.
2: Um, so let me put you on the spot now and imagine someone listening right. on this and uh, they are eager to get an internship at Shipstead. Yeah. Um, Why should they do that? How how would you pitch, you know, why they should apply for an internship position at Shipstead right now?
0: I mean, as an employee, it's sort of a, it's a pretty special vibe at Shipstead. People are really nice. um, And there's this sort of, humble nerd attitude going around. This this is maybe not our official, uh, (laughs) but this is my humble nerd. That's really, that's my, I think that is two of the most positive attributes you can have. (laughs) (laughs) So, and we had a lot of of, uh, people that entered our teams as an intern um, and other people that have started and gone gone away to do big, big and good things. So I think it's a very good place to learn. So so
1: bottom line, the proof is in the pudding. Interns in chips that does, they do pretty well. Yeah. So it's a good place to start your career. I think so.
2: And they obviously have very talented people like yourself, Hmm. Egil Martinsson. And uh, very welcome here, for one. Very pleased to have you. Uh, we, We know each other for a number of years. I'm not really sure... From when? But I guess it's from Stockholm AI or some meetup groups. I think it's actually
0: earlier than that. Yeah. I know that you have been very active in meetups. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you, I mean, this was early in maybe even 2012, 20. Really? It could be. You, I n- remember you organized meetups for Stockholm. No, for ML, and Stockholm. ML Stockholm. Right. And that was one of the first times where I had been, you know, sort of isolated not meeting a lot of me- machine learning people everybody was talking about the same thing yeah, so yeah. that was a big thing oh cool yeah, so for
1: you, you you felt this uh, I'm in my bubble and I feel very alone yeah. in my skills in my company and here is an ML Stockholm going on and you yeah. met people who yeah. you could talk to T- 2012
0: I think it was can it be that yeah. early or yeah, 2013 Absolutely. 14 yeah I mean, for sure something uh, like that it,
2: and uh, we have a lot of I think common people in, in mind here, like Lars uh, Sjösund. Oh, yes. You know him and Mikael Huss, I guess, as well. And uh, Anders Huss, I, yeah. I guess. And Carl Tomei, I guess, you know, as well. Ah, there's a lot of people. I think the actual sphere and network here in like the AI scene in Stockholm, I think most people know. And I think a large extent to Stockholm AI um, and these kind of meetups as well that we have, right?
0: Yeah, it's... Um, I don't I don't know why it sort of happened because I know that... It's, uh, It hasn't happened that it didn't happen that early in other cities, Mm. is what I've heard. But there was a very small dance group where people were very playful. Mm. Uh, You know, I can't mention everybody, but you know, like uh, we organized hacks together, Uh, and there was people running that weekly. Was it Anton, Osegeir, no, Leon, know. Mark, and Jim? And people were where we would just meet up at Starbucks, mm. hack away, sit and talk. Mm. Um, and then around that, there's performing a group of people that... Yeah, uh,
1: Were we all, or were you all... Titled Data Scientists in 2012 13, I think. Or did I you? I know was it? at least. Yeah. Is that, you know, because I remember this from, you know, when we started Update Innovation Summit and all this. And this is fairly new in Sweden mm-hmm. to have the data scientist. Mm-hmm. What is the data scientist? I
2: think I was called AI Engineer in Campania at that time. That, oh, that's, that's
1: super. super. That now <laughs> it's, you, it's gone full circle, gone yeah, full yeah. circle. What yeah, is cool, right?
0: Yeah. I think I was. Titled bachelor student in. <laughs> in that <group> <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> like, <looks laughs> you're too old. <laughs> oh, goodbye.
2: But we also <coughs> met up recently. Yeah. Shipstead as well. So we had the, you are starting a new AI forum or what oh, else yeah. called, yeah? yeah?
0: So, I mean, at Shipstead, maybe I'm not going to go into, into deeply, but we're a lot of data scientists and yeah. a lot of machine learning engineers. So we have always had this sort of, you know, now Nordic initiative, but it's been like a global initiative before where we just meet up and share experiences. And now we're starting this AI forum, which is, we're trying to, I think monthly monthly or monthly, have invites external speakers. And hopefully we're going to meet up together soon as well. Within the ship's sphere. Um, Yeah. And uh, recently we had this um, amazing speaker.
3: Yeah, yeah exactly. so yeah, yeah. I, I
0: was honoured to be
2: a speaker there, yeah. so that was really fun. You got, you got I, uh, into
1: the inside. Yes. yes. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. It was very
2: nice. And received a very nice present, I must say. So yeah. thank you very much for that. It was a pleasure to be there and really awesome questions. I think the, the energy and the you know, knowledge, the level of knowledge you
0: have there is <coughs> it's really great. We were happy to have you. Um, lots of discussion afterwards as well. Yeah.
1: Oh, we, we will talk cool. more about cheap steps yeah. and all this. So yeah. We're going to go nerdy on this yeah. one. Because
0: Let
2: me just say I'm always, uh, through the years I've known you, been very impressed by your skills. So with that, we are very honored to have you here and I'm looking forward to the discussions we're going to have. So thank you. Thank you. Cool. With that, perhaps we should start just to describe a bit more who Egil Mattisson is. How would you describe yourself?
0: Hmm... Um, like uh, professionally, I guess I've been driven by focusing on boring problems with fun methods. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe that's uh, sort of describes I love me that there. answer. <laughs> that sort of describes me maybe even in a wider sense as well. And what, you what do you mean, elab- yeah. elaborate <laughs> on boring? <laughs> uh, it's
1: so fun <laughs> framing. Boring problem, what the hell do you mean with the boring, with fun methods? Elaborate, please.
0: I mean, so, like I, I, I studied uh, economics, let's start with that. That's how I started with uh, studying. Um, but I kind of, you know, jumping onto this uh, machine learning craze when it happened. Um, I was, my eyes was started to be really big because I was interested in these kinds of Classical sociological questions, like I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do research in social sciences. Um, I was interested in psychology and economics and those kind of questions. But it also, it seemed like it was a lot not uh, empirical enough. And then around 2011, we started. It it was this data visualization boom, if you remember. Yes. So there was a lot of chatter going on. Could have been on Twitter. This was 2011, so 2012, yep. um, where D3JS came oh, out.: Yeah D3. that's. <laughs> what is this?: <laughs> This is not my.: So it's if, it's a JavaScript framework um, where you can make visualizations. Mm. And they're so cool this vi- visualization. you can do trees represent things as trees and, you know, and circles and... I mean, in in 3D as well. Right? In th- <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know anything about programming back then, but I just knew that like, this is something I want to do because it was sort of... The culture around the data visualization was a lot of, you know, uh, I'm not going to use big words, we're just going to show the data. Um, and of course I wanted to get in on that. Uh, so I started um, trying to learn um, JavaScript. <laughs> oh, and I don't know if I was just so absolute, absolutely poor in understanding what this is because I have not written a line of code. So I just bumped my head against that, trying to do it. the s- most simple thing. I couldn't do that but I still know that this is something I want to do. So I kind of changed my study trajectory. So right you, there. you
1: went from an economics trajectory and now more into data and
0: programming. Yeah. Um, and that was thanks to cool, but useless graphs. <laughs> <laughs> cool.
2: I mean, that, that uh, brings back some memories. And, and in Spotify, at one point we have, um, we call a data art competition. Yeah. So we just want to visualize data in, in different, you know, creative ways. And then we had a competition and the winner, you know, did something. And the winner, you know, he had a super, super cool kind of visualization, but no one understood what it meant. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so it was a visual visualization that was really cool. It was art. But it was useless. It was art. Exactly. <laughs> Very That's cool music. Right? Yeah, we had that <laughs> joke before.
1: <laughs> um,
2: but. Yeah, I think the, the guess the best thing is when you can combine like a, a nice-looking visualization with something you actually do understand as well, right? Um, that can be
0: a bit tricky. That whatever. is tricky. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then you then you basically you change your faculty and all this, or more or less, or how did how did that come about? Or
0: back then, it felt like you know moving like a tanker traveling up the Nile or something, <laughs> um, because I was. I was really doing, you know, like I was studying, a, what was it? Social science and, and business administration economics. Yeah, then mm. economics in Uppsala. So you're not only um, very far from any faculty where they do anything with uh, uh, data. It feels like you're also physically far. Mm. It's a 15 minute bike ride in Uppsala from to uh, the nearest technical faculty. Uh, so you actually had to change faculty, or could you combine it with where you were? Uh, I started. Um, we have. I started studying statistics mm. um, because there is this very good statistics institution in Uppsala. But it's kind of weird. I don't think. I don't know if statistics in Sweden is. Th- it must be different than the rest of the world <laughs> because you're doing statistics without math, um, which has which is interesting. Um, What do you mean, statistics without math? Do you use like
2: SPSS and stuff then? Yeah. yeah.
0: And I I think this is also, I've been trying to explain this to other engineers, that statistics without math is a thing that we do in Sweden. Um, And I guess it's not a good thing. or? I don't know if it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing all the time. There are good things, but it's just... You know, it takes a long time to learn statistics. It's very extremely hard because you need to reason in a completely different way. Um, while in the rest of the world, every education start every close to technical education starts with you doing uh, linear algebra, single variable calculus, uh, even if it's you know accounting or.
1: Even I did business statistics in in business commerce in yeah. Australia, which is. You know, this but it, it is math in in, in terms of uh, covariance and everything like this. Yeah. What, what we are learning about, and you and now you're saying you're doing statistics without doing the basic math. It's hard it's to this, sort of
0: this basic math, of course, but it's a lot. Um, it's um, a lot of it is. There's one some aspects of it. I guess you have to. Because everyone needs some statistics so if we're going to teach everyone in half a semester to do statistics we're going to cram uh, down a lot in it but then there's the other aspect which is you know <laughs> starting with recipes and then learning to reason about the recipes mm. rather than maybe starting from first principles of you know starting with I don't know how far you can s- down you can start with building probability.
1: So the it, it's it's a little bit like starting in another angle the philosophy of the, how the education is set up is is a little bit different actually. So you yeah. can use tools in SPSS. Yep. It's more about how do you maximize what you use the tools for is can you use the tools properly? You don't you know don't worry about the math you just, but you damn need to know which type of math should be used and stuff like that. Is or how should
0: I in, interpret I'm I mean, I think since it's very applied, I'm skeptical towards the idea of applied learning applied things at university. But it is very applied. But and it's applied for things that for you know, conversations that you kind of find in science, mm-hmm. doing statistical tests, hypothesis testing, mm. um but also, you know, whatever time series and um survey methodology. Mm. That's not anything that I came close to when I later moved to Chalmers, I guess.
2: Cool. But then you had an economics background and then you moved to Chalmers somehow, right? Yeah. How did that
0: happen? Why did you move to Chalmers? Uh, So I, I had decided, I saw these cool graphs, I want to do these graphs. So I started, you know, doing, thinking about how can I, move over to, you know, get into this world of data. And, it's, and it wasn't a long time ago, it was 2013, but it's still, there was no, you know, data science program, there was no machine learning program, but it was still a very reasonable idea of what that could look like in the future. Mm-hmm. It definitely involved math. Um, so I started doing, studying math, at the, you know, doing the basic math, studying that at the same time. Um, and then I did everything i could to go to the u.s mm-hmm. um, yeah you did an exchange program there right yeah um, and, and why did where why were you so interested in going to the u.s i mean it, this was almost religious at that point and that was that okay so all these institutions they don't speak to each other you know most engineers don't know that there's statistics without math most uh you know people in And that was studying what what I was studying, didn't even know about most of the concepts that you're dealing with in in engineering. Like they're so far away from each other. Um, While in the US, um, you take a lot of courses, you're forced to take a lot of small courses. That's really how it is in in engineering programs as well. You take small courses and you're allowed to shift while when you're studying social science, maybe you decide nine months ahead, what you're going to do for a full semester mm-hmm. um, which is you know that's a tall order for for someone to know you know exactly what they want to study mm. um, so i wanted to go there to be able to just learn a lot do a lot of things at the same time that's not necessarily related
2: what do you think about the u.s educational system in general compared to the swedish one
0: I'm sure the statistics for this but my theory is that we have they produce less. There must be an English word for this. Overliggare. <sighs>
2: That's a good one. But what do you mean with overliga? You mean people
0: that uh, just stay on yeah. stay
1: on academics for its its own yeah. sake.
0: So maybe I like I feel like I have a little bit of a relation to this because I was just studying for a long time. Uh you know, you're interested in one topic and then you decide, decide uh, to do that. Then maybe you decide that uh, oh maybe I should study this instead and then suddenly so you, know, uh, oops, like, you
1: mean like people have done a career by changing yeah. <laughs> courses for twenty years.
0: Yeah. And then they then exist. You, Right, and I don't know, maybe there's not not enough money in the world to do that in the US, but I still assume that the self um, assignments of, you know, matching between uh, your capabilities and interests are easier to optimize for if you're exposed to a lot of things. The Swedish school system is not optimized, that it's not constructed to to expose you to a lot of different things.
1: So you're you're, mm. you're going down a path quite early and then a, a little bit like what you explained yeah. with the social science setup you're going down a path and then all of a sudden when you started you you have you started and you need to go through the left door now you're
0: stuck for nine months yeah and that happens to the i don't know i th- hope it has changed, but that happened when you were sixteen um until recently because you choose at a very early age if you're going to do natural sciences or uh, social sciences in high school, senior high school.
1: And um, this is already closing some doors and opening up other doors yeah. to some degree. Absolutely.
2: We spoke about hiring before we, we got started here. And we can also see in the U.S. there are problems with it's a big like class difference between different universities mm. and also you, you have a much higher rank or status if you come from one, you know, well-known university versus not so much from others. In Sweden, it's rather equal, right? Would it's very that?
0: rare that we discuss uh, which school people went to.
2: Do you think that's a, or, or let us be it like this. Um, if we were to measure like the average engineer coming up Coming out from a Swedish university compared to the average engineer coming out from an American or u s university, mm.
0: which one would be the best? I think you guys have to answer this because I haven't met that many American engineers yeah. What do you think? I think the Swedish educational
2: system is um, underrated a bit, yeah surprisingly good. We just need to keep the good people in, in Sweden and Europe, you know that that's the big problem so. The big tech giants, especially, you know, they eat up and do a brain drain from Sweden to to the big tech giants. But we do get surprisingly good people, I think, out of the Swedish educational system. And it's one of the strengths, in my view, in Sweden, I, so
1: do, do I couldn't tell you. I, I don't have any data. I don't, I don't have any background. So, mm. would you would you argue that there's differences or fairly homogeneous Sweden overall? I mean, like, or it does it really matter? I
2: have my subjective views.
1: Lean shipping is best, yes, of course.
2: Of course. <laughs> I'm very subjective in this, <laughs> but compared to at least you know other foreign universities, uh, they are surprisingly good. Yeah. Uh, I must say.
1: And what, are you, what, what is your data point on that? What, what is your sort of empirical evidence on that?
2: Well, it's, so it's fifteen years of anecdotal evidence, I guess. Anecdotal evidence. am sorry. Anecdotal
0: yeah. evidence. I can anecdotal evidence in detail as well. I, I my, I've suspected that a l- we produce a lot of good engineers and lots of good people, but maybe that's despite the educational system and not because of it.
2: Ooh. Elaborate. Why do you think so?
0: Um, because of the self assignment. I mean, if you are a brilliant, um, if you end up being like a brilliant uh, um, statistician, for example, that means mm-hmm. that you, at 16, for a random reason, maybe shows the, the correct you know, classes oh, to yeah. do in high school and, Mm. how how can that happen like it's it feels like a completely random random choice in order to you know go start now i I don't think you should need to do um but but an that's a better choice Mm. doing three years of a bachelor um and the choice of that bachelor maybe that was you know you chose mechanical engineering Mm. which is still a pretty slim choice in the world of all the opportunities that you can do and then maybe doing the same masters. Mm-hmm.
1: So your argument here is a little bit like w- w- with the way our educational system is set up, how many 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds understand the choices they made and rather mm-hmm. it could be a better strategy to expose broader in some sense, okay, so let's say broadly we're into to engineering, but let's now expose you to engineering from many different facets so you can find your real passion. Is, is that sort of the argument here is that, yeah. that you think is, you know, so you, we, are, we, are, we are going down, uh, I mean, it's, if you're su- super narrow, people, I mean, some people know exactly what they want to do, right? But most teenagers don't, sort of. I, I guess that's a little bit my yeah. understanding of your argument.
0: Uh, yeah, I've never met anyone that knew what they wanted to do. <laughs> it's memory. a
2: really good point I think it's a lot of random choices and people that perhaps make the wrong choice that could be an awesome star in some whatever they, other field but they never they, got
1: exposed they, to it they never they never found their passion mm. in this way oh. yeah. ah, so that maybe we're doing okay but there are things to improve maybe
2: yeah. awesome okay so you we went to Shalmers uh, how did you define Shalmers as a university then
0: Uh. I really liked it. I mean, I, w- I was choosing between KTH and Chalmers because I was, maybe that it, it was very much based on the same assumption that if I'm going to KTH, I will have to, I'm going to be stuck in this loop where I need to decide exactly what I'm going to do in nine months before, and then I'm going to take those courses maybe that were poorly assigned. and Maybe I was just doing things that I shouldn't be doing, but, you know, I was... Starting in in Chalmers, I would start a bunch of classes, five classes, and then drop some, yeah, as okay. you do in in the US. Where so you is. think
1: Chalmers had a little bit different way of approaching it?
0: That's how I felt, or maybe I was just you know doing doing how exactly how I wanted to do. Um, but I assumed that 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 there was more. I felt like there was a lot of freedom at Chalmers to do um, yeah. a little bit more of what you wanted to. Um, That's super cool.
1: Cool,
2: and you graduated. What was the degree you got in Chalmers? It
0: I didn't get a degree. Oh no, sorry. I uh, so I, in the end, I think there, I have too much high school points, but I did not take the ordinary differential, line, uh, ordinary differential equations mm. one, right? <laughs> because I, I was uh, I was struck by hubris and thought I could you know mm. tag that off. Just uh, without taking the classes and doing a bunch of other classes right. at the same time, I couldn't like couldn't do that.
2: You're an Elon Musk kind of person, I think.
1: You know? So you did you did a lot of stuff, and then in the end, when when it came down, it was like one of the
0: early classes was like, "Nope, you
1: haven't done this."
0: Uh, yeah, I focus on the other classes. Yeah. <laughs> it was a wrong choice, but it hasn't hurt me that much yet. Um, to not uh, to not get the degree. Yeah,
2: cool. And then what happened after university? What did you start doing then?
0: I mean, it's at university, and like for my master program, I had this idea of doing. Um, it was a pretty simple idea, but I thought like this could be this could be something interesting uh, to work on. Uh, so I, I did a master's thesis building a model. Uh, And then I just continued working on that.
2: A model, you mean an AI model in some way? A machine learning model. Yes.
0: For what? Um, So it was... The simple idea is really... I mean, I'd learned... I'd studied classical statistics in in my bachelor's thesis and then um, I saw an opportunity to use one of these old boring models, survival analysis, and kind of mend, try to see, can I mend this uh, for a particular class of problems, which is really you're trying to predict events um, and then try to reformulate the idea of predicting events as predicting the time to an event um, because we're getting a, some kind of nice tricks to that um, by using the formulation that's been around for a hundred years or something, Um but uh,
2: it's really oh, sorry. So, so what was your thesis topic then if you were to just take the title for example okay
0: a uh, uh, viable time to event recurrent neural networks um, mm-hmm. so the setup is simple. you have any task that is f- uh, that is occurring where the data is coming to you as a stream of events. Um, and oh I sorry. think yeah. you should
2: mention the application as well because oh, it's, I think one, it's, it's one of the core things that you have focused on oh, a okay. right?
0: Yeah, uh, so I did an internship at uh, Ticktail mm-hmm. uh, and we were building a churn model. Right, um, and churn model means what? Churn uh, means you're trying to predict uh, if a customer is about to drop off.
2: Yeah. Cool, and you had some kind of neural network that was called vital time to event something
0: uh, vi- viable 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 time to event so viable is a beautiful um distribution and the distribution is like a probability distribution um which um it's classical it's very w- well known in um not not agrarian science but when you're trying to predict lifetimes so if you're trying to predict when will people die for example uh, if you're in that field of work you know your viable distribution Um, i would say most people that are in the line of machine learning do not know their viable distribution which is unfortunate because it's a pretty fun little distribution um, what
2: would you compare it with? What other type of probability distribution would you say it's most similar to?
0: I mean, it's, it's, it's like, a it's one of these, um, um, it's for positive values. It's, uh, it's uh, the positive version of Gamble, the Gamble distribution made famous by Gamble Softmax. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it looks like a Poisson distribution, It yeah. just has a different, another parameter to it.
2: So something that happens uh, with a certain time intervals and yeah. you want to measure when a certain event happened given a set of other time series events.
0: Yeah. Right? So, so for example, you have customer data.
2: Right.
0: You then maybe have you know, a couple of years of events the they made payments. Mm. And now you want to predict when will this customer stop making a payment? I think the trick that maybe Got this project into like it's you know slightly. Um, um, some people found it interesting was that use the idea is that you instead of trying to formulate how do I predict if a customer is about to stop, mm-hmm. you f- think of how how do I predict when they will pay again? Mm-hmm. Because if you're predicting when they will pay again. The inverse of that is, you know, they will not pay. Yeah, right. And a good definition of not paying is, you know, paying in an infinite amount of time.
1: So in a way, you're reframing the problem. You're, 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 you're having a very concrete understanding of what you, you want to look at churn. Yeah. But you're reframing the, the problem definition. So you're, you're, you're coming at it from a different angle. Exactly. And with this, you can find other types of data points that you can work with. Exactly. Like event
0: data. Yeah. Because event data has, it has some peculiarities. Like there's uneven spacing between events. People pay at odd hours. And another thing is that if I have the if I, we have a recurring payment of the customers pay once a year,
3: mm.
0: and now it's November, I still want to use the uh, last uh, nine. 11? <laughs> Eleven months. <laughs> Month of data. Um, but I haven't had any event. So I don't know between now and like their last payment, I don't know when they will pay again. And that is framed exactly as it's in um when we try to frame how do we use live people to predict how long people will live. Yeah. Survival analysis.
1: But but the bottom line here is actually we don't Sometimes we, it's very clear, oh, we want to predict churn. Yeah. But we can't find the data points if I go in one way to find something to work with in order to build a model. So here is a little bit like, well, I have this data. What if I go another way then? Can I actually come to a result based on the actual data points that are available, like payment event data? Yeah. So it's a little bit like, okay, this is a really hard problem to solve but it's because we've been looking at the wrong angle at it. If we look at the other angle, we have data.
0: Yeah, it's and it's maybe one of these things where w- we have a very clear conception of what it means to be a churn user. Mm. But when we're trying to actually materialize that into a reasonable query, we, it, it gets extremely arbitrary. Mm. Um,
2: I mean, cool. I mean, it's also related to, to, I guess, forecasting type of models and and whatnot. But if you were to just describe, you know, what was the main contribution of the thesis work, how would you try to describe this is what we came up with and how it works?
0: It's really there's survival analysis, there's recurrent neural networks, there's deep learning match them together <laughs> it <laughs> that, will work exactly that was as you very, expected. very nicely
1: concisely <laughs> described i think so you took so. two fundamental types of methodologies or or you know yeah and then we let's mash them up yeah let's do something and it performed like it should yes <laughs> so it was a good result
0: i think it it's it's a. I i found it interesting as an interesting result um I found some some things interesting that we, when we uh, looked into this later, which is, okay, so imagine if we have a model where we're trying to predict, what's the probability that a user will do something in 30 days? And we train a neural network on that, or we train any model. If we instead formulate it as what's, uh, let's try to predict the time to event distribution over uh, the time to the next event. Mm. And then we use that model to ask, what's the probability of this user coming back in 30 days? Mm-hmm. That model is at least always going to be as good on the first question. What's the probability of users user showing up on 30 days? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of, a, you get the free...
2: It's a proxy objective in some way yeah. that is useful. And then what type of recurrent network did you use? So LSTM, your use?
1: Yeah,
0: they do just uh, plain the, yeah. The, my LSTM. LSTM. Re- Long short term memory. Yeah. Networks, yeah. it was hot, organ, yeah. yeah, it was really hot then <laughs> because you know we have uh, sequence problems. We, I want to use an LSTM. Um, I later, when I've used this in other contexts, I always I've started to use CNNs mm. more because you can control one-dimensional
2: CNNs. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, causal deleted convolutional. So Anti-lated you have, causality uh, because you w- want causality. You know.
2: And perhaps we should explain this. So what the dilated convolution yeah. is, how
0: would you describe that? I, th- I think you have probably worked more with speech. I haven't done that. <laughs> but dilation, that is, you have one layer, which is, um, I think, th- so, okay, so dilation is um, that you sort of, you, SNN is a moving window. Um, the steps between the, the, the steps between every point that you look at, that's dilation, right?
2: I mean, I think you, you can explain it simpler. I mean, normally CNN okay. is just a filter that looks at x number of time steps that are next to each other. Mm. Dilation, you basically skip every second or every third or something, and you have a dilation between oh, yeah. the filters and what you look at. So it has a bigger receptive field. Right? Bigger receptive field. That's the trick. That's, yeah. And it's mm. very common in in speech analysis for example and, and what well, yeah. uh,
1: why, why do you want to did, why, why do you, why, why is dilation uh, do you have a bigger receptive field so yeah, you can have a longer time interval
2: that you can you know get data from so you, yeah. you can understand from not three data points or time events, not five but even longer so the bigger dilations you have, the longer time period back you can look at basically
1: mm. okay. So you have then a broader yeah sample, so to speak. Yeah,
2: cool.
0: And what happened then? You did the thesis work, and, and what's next? Uh, yeah, so I th- I did my thesis. I did did go long of time because I had so much fun, <laughs> uh, and then I uh, I finally submitted it. But in the meantime, I sort of wrote a little blog post about it, um, and posted that, um, and. From that, uh, I got a lot of interest in. First, like uh, it got me to start a open source project, mm-hmm. um, and that spawned some leads to start working as a consultant, mm-hmm. um, which I did um, for about six months first, and then oh sorry. Um, And then Lars Lover Sjösund um, had he knows a lot about Korea. So of course he's following TensorFlow Korea Facebook group. (laughs) Uh, And what I was doing then I was really just working as a consultant to finance because I want, I felt like I hadn't explored this topic that I was working on, which was really loss functions for survival analysis. So I was financing, playing around with that. But then Lars Logokhausen told me that there's a camp in Korea where you go to an island uh, for a month, you're sponsored by TensorFlow, uh, you get free GPU credits, and you're going to sit with a a bunch of people and work on your open source project or whatever project you want to have with uh, mentors and mentors. So, of course, I I jumped on that opportunity. (laughs) Super cool. Um, And that was the, what what is for, was it for a company as well, or was it? uh, So that was, it was TensorFlow ML, no, TensorFlow ML Jeju Camp. So there's a company called Kakao in in Korea, um, which is, I don't know, they do, it's basically WhatsApp, that's how they started, and they um, are very big and very big into machine learning so they i don't know why they had this extremely fancy office in the middle of <laughs> of an island in the middle of nowhere really <laughs> um, Bon villain stuff <laughs> yeah it really felt like a, but no one was there so <laughs> we were allowed to to live on this campus and mm-hmm. um so you, you uh, randomly an island out in the in the Korean uh, archipelago,
1: I yeah. think, and this is like Bonville and stuff. You go there as a camp, you know, you know, it's a beautiful big building, and it's deserted, so you can use it as a
0: as a, AI a hack, camp, hackathon, yeah. <laughs> as a hack, AI hackathon. Yeah, amazing. That was amazing. And, and it, how, it how sounds how, like ex machina in
1: some way yeah, but and, and people from all over the world, I guess from all, you know, how did you apply? Was it hard to get in? You know, you know, did you, did you was there a selection process? Uh, my, my head is bubbling.
0: So because we were looking into um, the selection pro- process was that they had a, a big pool of um, machine learning uh, people from Korea that were uh, signed up as mentors and then they uh, looked at the applications and s- decided do i want to help on this project
1: okay so th- th- good match
0: yeah um and then th- if we were assigned to a mentor you got to go to the camp so basically you then pitch
1: what you wanted to work on exactly. and then you were hoping that one of the mentors liked to work mm-hmm. on the same
0: topic yeah mm-hmm. and i had this pretty poor understanding of of programming And I needed help to you know take this idea that I have in my head and in my thesis and help me make this into a a, pip installable Python project, Mm. Uh, which seemed like super hard at the time really co- incomprehensible. I didn't know how so I was And this
1: is because of what your skills are and wh- where your skills are not, and now you have moved on, but then this, yeah. this was
0: still, program was hard. You, you tell us when you started yeah. into this. Writing the code, a little more easy, but installing Python, that's hard still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, packaging things, that's still hard. Uh, having the proper setup to distribute the code and dependency management and, similar things, that is still hard. <laughs> uh, and why is it hard? People not using Docker, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, but, but a hardcore, you
1: know, why is this hard? Is it because you need to understand truly how the computer works and how the environment works? Or why is this hard?
0: I'm now trying to think of it as from, now what I, because it, maybe a lot of the people that are working on that, on this know how to do it. That's a, one of the main reasons. Now I don't find it hard.
1: When you I know, know how to do it, yeah.
0: Right now, I th- find it really—I th- can't even imagine how it could be that hard. But I also remember how it was—you know—spending two years of my life installing Python. Mm-hmm. That was hard. Yeah. Um, and, and but but please uh, uh, humor me a little bit yeah. here. So, what are there many steps,
1: or is it like uh,
2: every computer has different versions of whatever, and then a different hardware, and then it's um, something crashes? So you follow some instructions in how to install some package, and it breaks. A lot of and trial and error.
1: It seems like it's yeah.
2: it's so many dependencies that you have that are, are different every time you try it, and therefore it breaks a lot, and that's why you know having uh, Docker and this kind of. Tools to package things is an awesome thing. Yeah, so
1: now so it's also the, the technology moved on that there have become now different. I mean, like, the, what we can use as tools to do stuff yeah. like this for us has improved, and the APIs has improved, and everything. I guess
0: it's in the Python world. I think package management management has improved a lot, and I think that the people that made Jupyter and Conda have probably helped you know they contributed they a contributed lot. a lot and it's very simple things that they contributed to just making that you don't need to be an absolute expert and understand that of course your you know compiler version <laughs> is not linking to your, the right glass library um, so you can't install.
1: could i argue a little bit like in, in 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 one way it's not hard but in one way this is all down to experience yeah. that you've been in all these situations and cracked, you know, you know, butted your head against it, figured it out, and like, oh, is this what I needed to do? And then this is that type of skill, which is very much experience based, would that be? Yeah, uh,
2: mm-hmm. partly yes, but also that simply that the level of maturity when it comes to some frameworks yeah. is really poor. Mm. And, um, yeah, Anyway, cool. So you went to this
0: camp and what happens, what happened next? Um, so I, I was there, we got, I learned a lot of stuff and it was really cool because I, it was a special time, 2017, mm. a lot of money flowing into deep learning, a lot of uh, uh, hopes. Uh, so we, there was a lot of people there. There was people that were, you know, it was a lot of hiring going on. In the end, um, the um, guy that ran the camp um, got a top job at uh, Kakao's compete, comp- competitor, um, um, Naver. Right. Uh, and he asked and what me... What does Naver oh, do? I think
2: everyone actually yeah. knows this company or at least one of their products, right?
0: Do they? I, I So uh. I wonder if anyone... I I don't know. Also, they have They
2: they do lime, right?
0: Lime. Everyone knows lime. Do people know? Do they know lime? Do they make lime? I I had no idea about that. I think so. I may be wrong, but I I think so at least. I have to double check that because They are. Yeah, we're googling it. So they do everything. They have a a lot of blog. It's very similar to Yahoo. Um, but very successful, they have a, a, a messenger app which is very successful. They have a search engine, they have a blog uh, site, and then they have a lot of machine learning and they had They started hiring hundreds of deep learning experts mm. um, and one mm-hmm. of those team which I started started in was called Clova, which was they were trying to do a as uh, DeepMind, but in Korea. Mm. Um, uh, in uh, DeepMind in, in Korea. In Korea. And so it was focusing on uh, research. Mm. And I was, um, I was going there for a, um, what's it called a residency program. So I was, uh, I could continue working on the same question again.
1: And you lived in, in yes. Seoul or where is it?
0: So well, I moved to Seoul yeah. uh, and stayed there mostly at the office because it was so much fun. Um, you know, 100 people, everybody super excited about this new field. And we had maybe 200 GPUs at the ready. <laughs> and if you stayed after 11, you had 200 GPUs on your own because we had them physically. <laughs> um, this is hacker stuff at work. It was fun. Um, and we focused mainly on publishing an extension of uh, my master thesis, which which was you know let's make this general. Let's uh, so you, you kept you kept
1: yeah. working on your core idea
0: exactly. Wow. Um. So Sharon was long gone. We focus now on event modeling in general um, because it, it was very clear from the beginning. A few people were interested in churn, but a lot of people that were downloading the package and using it and asking, asking questions about it, it, ended up being like people working on cancer research because you want to predict when people will die. Uh, people working on HR because you want to predict when, just when employers churn. So you saw the generic fundamental problem yeah. is everywhere. So let's make it generic. Yeah. And I mean, I was interested in the math, so I wanted to make it more generic for not a single distribution. And I wanted to make it m- even more scalable and see how big f- can, can I scale this. But this is a very cool thesis that is get, gets legs now. It got a lot of legs and we worked on it. I think we did like, a, I really thought we did a, made a good paper. We submitted it to ICMLR mm-hmm. and it was completely rejected. <laughs>
2: but oh so we, well, we can go down that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So did you did you agree with any of the reviewers comments on that? No. Or? No. No. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean the, the, it was reasonable, but I, I think my fundamental critique was really that Okay, so solving this my argument was solving this problem we already know how to d- we, we solving time to event we already know how to do this. We just take a loss function as we already have been doing for years, we take this particular loss function with a small little edit on it. Uh, Then we use whatever neural network we want. This is a problem setup, loss function, simple. But then, you know, the questions comes to, you know, did you compare this with Framework X, which yeah. is using a, you know, and then they it have... It was stacked, iClear, yeah, right? ICLR. I, iClear, yeah. It was actually ICML. ICML? ICML. Oh, okay. And it's not ICMLR, it's no, ICML. No.
2: ICML, yeah, of course. But that's one of the toughest conferences to get into. So, I mean, you chose the, the hardest one, basically. So. Yeah,
0: and it was my first paper. So, yeah, you know, like, exactly I, I'm, not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not a PhD student, and I was... Yeah barely a master's student, so who knows? Yeah,
2: okay, cool. But you didn't submit it somewhere else afterwards or?
0: I don't remember if we submitted to somewhere else. You know, I got back from Korea, it's time zone differences where ha- I was working on it, with, like excellent people, but they al- they already moved on. Um. So I just haven't, I thought I'm gonna submit it to the next conference, Um. but Never then you know, that work, work, life happened.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard that so, so many other people, you know, oh, I just can submit it to Neureps or iClear or ICML, and, uh, each kind. And then, are oh, you stupid. The first paper, is no way you can get into <laughs> those kind kind of, kind of conferences. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, fun stuff. Um, okay, and, and you stayed in Korea for some time in Naver, right? Yeah. And uh, then you got back to Stockholm or Sweden. So yeah. How did that
0: happen? So it was a time uh, timed uh, um, oh, residency program so I, I and I wanted to get back because i I'd worked as um, i had worked now a little bit with research i've worked as a consultant and you know being being a consultant uh, in machine learning entails a lot of proof of concepts and there's a lot of ideas out and many th- things that many projects involves, you know, show me that this can, that we can do this to which my uh, argument is usually, um, well, you need, you know, the whole, there's going to be value in this, but the value is that because in order to do this, you will need a whole data team uh, and you need to understand the data. And in order to run this, you probably also need people that understand the data and the infrastructure to run this. And the side effect of that is that you're gonna have, you know, a a data infrastructure, you're gonna have people that can do analytics for you, um, but this is gonna cost a lot to do.
1: And this is the classical angle of the prototype graveyard that you go in and you do a POC and it can never survive because Mm -hmm. they haven't understood the full topic. And then we go in the other direction you know, the, when we've done this prototype, it's still only 10% of what you need and all that. So, so how useful are POCs in yeah. reality? How, you know, what are you really getting out of a POC? I know you like to f- <laughs> prove value Sorry. first to get going. Yeah. And, and, and this value to that, uh, there's merit to that argument, but uh, to prove and fail fast. Yes. But the problem is, in my opinion, is not that you do a fail fast approach. The problem is that you haven't set up a trajectory where basically we are going down a funnel for a unicorn idea now and we fail fast with the POC. Mm. The, the problem is we define the POC as the game, right? And then they haven't really thought clearly what I happens. Think the now. problem
2: is they don't understand the level of difficulty between. Uh, creating a POC and actually doing a full product right mm. and, and what you need the, the extent and like it's 10x or if not more amount of work to actually have a deployable product compared to building a
0: POC. would you agree yeah um i just haven't seen many be, because i've been working on this boring data structure which is mm. you know tabular data etc mm. i haven't seen a lot of cases where it's feasible to make a POC that would have anything to do with how you know, hard it would be to do it in production. It's it's because the last ten steps to do it, like that's gonna shape how you do the solve the problem and the meaningfulness of solving the problem.
2: But it's also I think if we take churn prediction which is yeah. your speciali- specialty, it's more like a BI kind of uh, problem, right? Yeah. So you don't need to have it perhaps in, in the full production setting in that way uh, it, it's it's useful if you potentially can have some. Uh, is it a weekly report or h- how do you normally have the use this kind of churn sh- 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 models?
0: So first off, I haven't deployed churn um, sh- models. I mm. I did it. I've been doing it. Um, we did it at uh, Ticktail We deployed the churn sh- model, mm. um, and then I've been working on problems relating to this problem. Right. Um, so but what i've seen from from people deploying it's you know you want to predict maybe daily so daily you would predict what's the likely what's the time this what, what's the uh, likelihood that a user will return and do something in 30 days and then you just uh, use that score to sort users and then pick the top uh, because you
1: you want to trigger someone to for a customer service center or for a success Some customer stuff. success manager to which one do we need to act on in order to mitigate churn more or less yeah. right so you so it becomes not only an insight it becomes a trigger for something else to happen i guess yeah. that's
0: how you deploy it yeah it's just, so ranking that's one that's yeah. the easiest that's a, what i recommend people start with always whatever problem you have rank because if you can do anything where you just by sorting a list you find value out of it then it's very easy the next thing is if you want to take a decision on it, mm. then you need to find a threshold, and then suddenly it starts getting pretty much harder to f- see that what you did in production, or in in your experiments, match with what you are actually going to do. Do we want to send out, you know, a billion emails here?
2: Mm. Um, I remember some discussions from years back, but um, we also did some churn prediction and we wanted to find an action and action can be to send an email saying, you know, uh, look at these awesome things or you get a free discount. If you go back and do this now, but the actual act of sending an email can actually trigger them <laughs> to churn faster <laughs> because they get annoyed with getting emails and, and they don't want to get spam. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is a very tricky, I think, uh, problem to, to know,
1: you know, what, the what, what is take. the next best action when you have a churn prediction? Yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. Not easy, but I like that simple, Tip. When you get started, you, you find a lot of usefulness out of ranking. So basically, you're getting whatever your actions or your resources to focus and pay attention where it matters most. Ranking is all you need. Ranking, yes. That you come a far way with that. And then you start from the top, you know, and, and then you, your day is finished and you got to number five or number six. Who cares? And there's. But,
0: oh, yeah, bottom line, I guess. And another thing is that. As a data science problem, it's so much easier to evaluate because we have metrics like area under the curve, um, which only the only dependency that you have, need to have on your prediction is that you can rank it, and that 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 may sound um, like a low constraint, but it's really helpful because if you want to do things like you know take a specific decision, for example if uh, predicted value is above 7.0, then you, there's a lot of more things that can go wrong. It also needs to, to, you also need to make sure that you, know, you don't have duplicate entries in, in the data or whatever that makes the data calibrated. Um, and there's so many different ways to evaluate that and you need to understand the problem so well to start doing that. And then we haven't even started if you want to make a decision on a probability. So you want to ask, expect, do something where you take a human decision. Like, okay, what's the, want to predict what's the probability that the user will, um, do something? Yeah. 30%. What is, what do we divide by here? 30% out of all users is 30% for this particular user on a, wh- who are included is a user that is, hasn't been active in, you know, Four five years, are they included in this probability? Like, it, it's- it, It's a minefield. It's a minefield. When you start ranking. opening
1: up, so basically what you're saying, for a very pragmatic approach, ranking, yeah. you get a lot of value. You, you get a lot of bang for your buck. Yes. You know, for, this was quite simple and we got usefulness out of this. To take it here, boom, you open up Pandora's box. The minefield comes now and you, you kind of need to navigate all that in order to do it really well. Yeah, mm.
2: cool. The time is flying away and I'm mm-hmm. trying to push a bit forward as well. We will not want to do more than one hour of uh, background stuff, but I guess the next step is uh, the main topic also in some way. You, you got in contact with the that somehow. Oh yeah. How so, did that happen?
0: So, I mean, the contact happened, I think it could be thanks to you for, or mm-hmm. the, it was a couple of things. So it started with, I heard, I had no idea about ships that doing anything. Uh, cool until they organized a meetup. And right. I think you and maybe Atalaj was on mm, doing could this. Be. Could that be?
2: Yeah. What year was this approximately? Was
0: 20, this could have been 2016, 2017 yeah. Yeah, or something. Well, maybe. So there was um, could have been 2016 because there was, there was a meetup um, where they presented a bunch of cool stuff that they did mm. Um doing oh, right.
2: um, Yeah, I think I recall that. Yeah,
0: um, doing anything from transfer learning um, on text and images of blockit ads and similar. So that made me realize that shipstead is a good player to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, I found an ad on a Stockholm AI website because they have a job board which I can really recommend. Uh, I don't know how much it's updated. It's usually something that um, this is done completely manual. And if you send anything uh, to post my ad here, someone will probably manually a- add it. Um, but it's a place that was, is a good place to look because it's very specific, a very small crowd. Yeah. Um, so that's they how reached, I found it.
2: Uh, some of the best AI people, I think, in Stockholm, that's well. Hope so. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. So you replied to an ad then?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I was looking at a lot of jobs. So the the basic idea, I came home, I've been doing a lot of consulting. I wanted to go from, you know, a um, hunter-gatherer that's doing pox to, you know, a gardener. That is, Mm. because I really wanted to learn how can we build and manage big machine learning systems Mm. and see them, you know, from the start and live with them.
2: Mm. see them actually make some use as well. Yes. Okay. Right?
0: Production. Production. Yeah. And improving in production. Improving, yeah. The whole thing, mm. which seemed very interesting to me back then.
2: And perhaps we should move to the topic about, you know, for people that don't know Shipstep, I mean, I think all of them know the the actual companies they have, but they haven't perhaps heard the Shipstep as, as, as a name that well. H- how would you describe what Shipstep is?
0: I mean, we're a... Um, I don't know if we call ourselves a media company anymore, but we are a big company that is uh, an ecosystem of brands. Uh, so we have a lot of um, classical publishers. Sweden, we have Aftonbladet, Svenska Dagbladet, and probably more. And then we are in big on classifieds. So uh, companies like Blocket and in Nor- Norway, Finn. Uh, and up until recently, we um cloned Blocket to the rest of the world, which has mm-hmm. now spin, been spinned off as a, its own company. So there's Blocket uh, variants all over the world right now. Yeah.
2: But there is one in Russia as, as well, if I remember. But that was yeah. not owned by you, I think. I think, I think someone copied it without hmm. your knowledge in some
0: way and launched. Oh, I, d- I do not know about this. But the, where, where there's... Comp- there's um there's uh, this classified sites all over the place, which is pretty interesting.
2: But they actually have exactly the same type of it, like map on the front page, and it's mm. it's clearly copied. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fun to see. It's interesting. They, I didn't yeah, know like. that. Yeah, but but
1: actually, but but the way Blocket did it anyway f- within Shipstead is basically uh, successful, proven Blocket and Fiend and then now we go to France. And we do the France version of Blocket and then the, the base
0: code is the same, you know, or, or is this a branch off of the original code? Or is I it actually ma- don't, I haven't, I've been, I don't know if I've been fortunate enough. I haven't worked on that. This was actually just before I started uh. um, all of this happened, but it was, you know, an explosion of different companies going all over the world. Um, so that was an interesting, we had com- uh, offices everywhere. Um,
2: and how is it organized? I mean, you have all these brands now, um, but you can also think about some kind of centralized part. And then, yeah. how much of like AI and, and data engineering is happening in the brands, and how much in the centralized organization?
0: So I've been part of the central organization all the time. So I yeah. s- um, and I think almost all of our brands have data scientists. Mm. And so most things that happen in Shipstead are happening on the brands, almost all of it.
2: What do you mean? It, the most work is being done in the brands itself, not in the centralized part?
0: Uh, yes. Okay. So, um, you know, all the companies have brilliant scientists working on their own problems. Yeah. Um, but then we solve a subset of problems in centrally. And we're also focusing on, you know, making it easier for the brands to and get value from their data.
1: So, so this is this week is going to be interesting around around the infrastructure. Have you been able to find like a distributed architecture or something like that, that allows everybody in Shiptet to be their brand and their domain, but then reuse infra self-service? Is that what you're talking you know, Do you have a shared infra or how does that work?
0: We try. We try um, different ways. We've been trying different ways uh, um, and different setups. And that has worked with varying, uh, varying success.
1: So sometimes uh, if, if I take one brand, it, yeah,
0: th- they might have their own stack
1: fully and then or everybody has a subset of that, or is it very, you know, the legacy? Yeah. That has, there's a story in each of these brands, I guess. So, so the
0: nice part of, of being a shipset is, you know, we have a central team that will help you with IT, so help you with setting up um, things like that. And then we can have, then... If, if often lo- lo- <coughs> would want to set up a Kubernetes cluster, mm-hmm. then we have experts uh, that can do that. Uh, then we have, you know, experts handling deals with, uh, with uh, cloud compute uh, mm. and s- security. Mm. So there's resources all the time to help brands. Mm. Um, but would you? This is very interesting. Would you argue that
1: this is sort of a servant organization in the in the shipstead organization, and the brands come and get for it? I mean, like I, I've seen this in you know in different companies how you try to push out a centralized mm-hmm. organization in some. This is some ways, and and other other ones like no, our brands are too strong. We can't tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. We can use
0: only serve them. How would you, how would you frame the ships that uh, relationship to the brands? I actually do not know. I've more, I'm, and I wouldn't be the best person to say because I'm in the central organization as well. Yeah. Um, so, so
1: if I, let's, let's yeah. zoom in on your t- t- part. Do you get sort of problems to work on or how does it
0: work? What do you do? So we, um, I work in an organization where we, we have a lot of media companies, so we, then um, the question is, how do we track, the tracking? Mm. We built our own tracking in-house um, to, and that gives us a lot of control over privacy, and you know, over how we distribute data and how we can deal with the data. And that we also do our own targeting solutions,
3: <coughs> um,
0: which is helping us minimize uh, how much data get exposed to third parties. Mm. Um, And I'm working on that. So I get click events from all brands, Mm -hmm. almost all brands. Uh, And then we build models uh, to extract uh, and infer different properties and that we can use for targeting and uh, use for analytics and uh, services as well.
2: When you say targeting, is it for ads? Yes. yeah, um, and can you just describe more for, for people not into the, the whole, uh, you know, ad business? So, so you get click events and in some way you want to target ads. Uh, do you do segmentation or what type of work do you do to do the targeting?
0: So like? it, it could be easy things. Um, maybe you, we want to target on people that has been interested in sports, for example. Mm. Then you need to target uh, get tracking data for who has visited sites that we have tagged with sports. Right. Um,
2: Sites or pages in Aftenbladet or what? Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And I read that data across different sites. Right. And that may sound like something that is very easy, but then you suddenly end up with a lot of companies and then we have different countries. So, and as I said, we want to, you know, we're very careful how we collect and aggregate data across different controllers, uh, countries. Um, And then you also have the privacy concerns that we only use 30 days of data.
2: Oh, interesting.
0: Which is, I don't think a lot of people know this, but what happened, It's only uh, will only be leading to targeting for thirty days. You don't
2: aggregate in any way. If you want to have like you know yearly kind of patterns in some way, you must have some uh, aggregated data at least. Yeah.
0: So aggregation then then we're and analytics purposes. That's uh, that's a different thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, But but operational
2: data is kept for thirty days, basically.
0: We we build our models based on that. Yeah. So the causality between what you do um, and what you're targeted on. It's based on thirty days of data. Mm. It's actually less than that, but that's uh, and that's, that's a limit. mainly
2: for privacy purposes. Or that's
1: only for privacy purposes.
2: <laughs> yeah, from a data science point point of view, you want to have as much as, as you can, yeah. I guess. But
1: yeah, I mean, nice. It's mean, really nice that you're taking this seriously and you're finding ways to work with it, because it you know it, it becomes ridiculous when you when you when you you don't do anything either, right? So mm so finding a good balance and 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 finding how to do it which is relevant and and um, I think this is good
2: yeah, really good. I'm not sure uh, how much you allowed to, to say about this but can you mention some of the tech stack you're using in the centralized department to do the tracking and uh, just are you using some cloud or are you using some special uh, services there or can you I don't some? know much
0: about tracking I can't say much about the, tr- the tracking yeah. itself but it, um, I can say a lot about what we do when an event from a, a device is sent and we can build models on it yeah please um so we get this you know billions of events mm-hmm. um, and it's billions per day or per what? billions per day I think yeah. um, and you know um, and then we and that's basically gonna you can consider it as a as a JSON um but then we munch um, that into parquet format um, and we aggregate it. So and just um, for
2: people's curiosity, parquet is this kind of column-based, you know, big data format. Yeah. It's one of the popular ones, right? And you save it on some, uh, is it, sug- do you use on-premise or on the cloud?
0: No, we use the cloud. So we, 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 we're using S3. Um, S3 buckets. Yeah. AWS S3 buckets. AWS S3 buckets. Yeah. So you know, my world can be seen as, you know, okay, so now a new hour of data has been rolling in. Right. And now my Luigi jobs needs to have a look at, is this hour complete? Um, and Luigi is, a, um, is just looking at the dependencies and then a whole lot of jobs are gonna start. Um, aggregating data and building predictions
2: i mentioned Luigi is actually
0: yes. an open source product from Spotify as well,
2: right? Yeah, and uh, it's basically it actually had two purposes. One was to run on Hadoop, which no one is using any, anymore. But the other part is the like scheduling part, and trying to make sure that you have every day the data you need, and they can track the dependencies. So if some data set is dependent on another. They will start running that job, and if that is depending on something else, they will start running that as well.
0: Yeah, so, stuff like that. Did you ever work with what's his name? Erik Erik Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also the,
2: uh, uh, he w- and another person, mm-hmm. Anders he, Anders Nyström. Yeah, he was on the show as well. Yeah, Anders was
1: on the show. Anders Nyström. They were
2: the two actually that that created um, Leech as well in the beginning.
1: They they built it even right. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were yeah. really. I mean, as an open source for their own purposes to I figure. Mean,
2: yeah, in the beginning, yeah, but then it scaled. Even then it to took huge, yeah. got yeah. legs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, and cool. Also, yeah. that, that's awesome. So, so I think Twitter uses Luigi and so many yeah. others. So uh, it's, it's kind of cool to see.
0: There's so much and so little happening in that space. There's, <laughs> I've seen so many new pro- projects that seem to be um, trying to solve the problems that Luigi is trying to solve. Um, which to me, it really looks like a Luigi clone. <laughs> like Digging really deep into Luigi, in the end, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've been having pains with from Luigi is problems that I created by not understanding Luigi. I think a lot of
2: complaints in Luigi has been, they use a lot of Python magics that's <laughs> happened underneath that scene. It. So it's not like really, you get surprised that stuff happens without, explicitly like writing code for it in some hmm. way that's a sort i need of to a look way. for that because it maybe that's magic good, yeah you know? i mean magic is is a bad thing i think in, in yeah, the world of I programming magic. This, this,
1: magic this piece w- scheduling you want to be in control
2: <laughs> i mean there are a lot of these kind of things you can do that triggers without you actually writing code for it and, and it can it the code looks nice because it's very short and brief. But in reality, you don't understand what happens underneath. So it's better to be explicit, I think, than implicit. In so, in
1: and yeah. w- when you say yeah. happens underneath, what does that mean? Like if the, the code is right, but it's calling on something else.
2: Yeah, I mean there have these kind of double uh, underscore or a double underscore methods in Python that get called, you know, without you knowing it uh, sometimes, and these can be uh, abused, I think, to an extent that makes it.
0: You know, hard to understand what's
2: hard really to happening. follow
1: what actually happened yeah.
2: so it's magical it happens without you
1: knowing it in yeah. some way. so but so, but if you know deeply how luigi is built you would know yeah. this yes
0: but then you then you're really deep into it yeah. Yeah. can
1: you go and have a look in that understand yeah, you, you yeah. can go it's to the is
0: open source yeah. that's the good part but then again th- th- it's also the thing whenever you want things to happen concurrently at the same time it, there will be magic because you can't really follow the logic linearly. No, um, par- the, par- yeah. the parallelism
1: s- looks magic to the sequential uh, uh, human brain. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think that th- that could be, you know, so our setup, we have hours of data. So now we have new hour data. Then Luigi is going to look for, did the aggregated events per hour complete and did the aggregation per day complete? Um And if they did, now we're launching a Spark job. If they didn't, uh, now we're launching a Spark job to aggregate that data. <laughs> and there's gonna be one Spark job for Finland, one for <laughs> Sweden, one for Norway. Um, and this was just, you know, one stage. Maybe we have 20 pipelines or so, three countries, and we have a dev pre and pro environment. Yeah. Um, and then maybe we're aggregating in other dimensions. So we will definitely aggregate per hour, day, and then per look back, which is, you know, now we wanna aggregate on the past 25 days of data. Mm-hmm. Suddenly we have a lot of Lots stuff happening because the aggregation, that's gonna be run by Spark. And a Spark, that's now one machine that is gonna launch a bunch of different machines, executors, so you can just imagine the scales of things that, uh, to keep track on.
2: Do you know how many machines are used to run all the pipelines you have daily? Yeah, uh, like an average number of machines that is being
0: used. I w- I shouldn't I should <laughs> know this. No, I don't. I I actually don't know. We did publish a blog post uh, to my colleagues. Um, Maria pos tried to do a carbon dioxide CO two yeah CO two uh, uh, estimate on what one of our deep learning pipelines cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite a lot actually. Um, it's more than you expect. Um, Compute is expensive. Yes. Um, cool, okay, so you have the tech stack there. You use Luigi to,
2: to schedule the jobs. You have Harkeia to save the, the data that yep. comes in as well. You use Spark to do the data processing as well. Um, anything else you can mention uh,
3: besides well, that?
0: Well, yeah, this is running on Kubernetes. Yeah, and and even the Spark jobs? Are you running Spark on top of yes. Kubernetes? Oh, Spark on Kubernetes. So we oh, moved nice. out from a, we had this enormous, you know, many, many terabytes of ROM at a given time system where we, uh, everybody in different brands of ships that would submit jobs into. In the end, we didn't understand, no one of us understood how it worked. So we sort of, you know, there's always this move from, you know, central org to distributed tech. And Kubernetes was one of these moves where we, you know, every brand needs to control their AWS they need to control their, or at least in our little team, like our team wanted to control what we did. We want to control the infrastructure. Um, so that's what, how we moved to Kubernetes. And now we're running everything on it. So we run services, we run batch jobs, um, and yes, we run Spark as well.
2: But you have a separate Kubernetes cluster then for Spark and another one for... No, it's, the, it's, it's picking the same, the same resources. Oh, interesting.
1: And, and elaborate and explain a little bit to me what was the beauty of why we start moving more and more stuff to Kubernetes, Kubernetes or Kubernetes? Yeah.
0: Yes, Kubernetes. I but think the jury's out on that. I mean, I, I find. Uh, it's, okay. I'm, I'm yeah. asking
1: honestly, like a business person. Yes. We heard this Kubernetes this and Kubernetes that. Mm. From the horse's mouth, the people working on it. You know, how do you feel? What's the simple truth to package or?
0: To me, it's like now, whatever I'm do I'm forced to. At least imagine that I understand the whole, um, the, the whole idea of you know, how I can run a pro- program in a container. That forces a good habit that you have to containerize it. It forces you to understand and for other people to look at what you're running. Um, you can share compute resources between jobs.
1: So, so containerization in itself leads to many useful habits like you're thinking about this you're 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 productifying with your your stuff it forces you to think in a in
0: a a scalable way maybe yeah or reusable way yeah and I I mean I I don't know what our reasoning has been about it but for all of the use cases people can find like okay so I but I I just want to run this little function yeah you can run there's AWS Lambda for that and um, we want to run this service. Yeah, there's serverless service. So, yeah, there's serverless. probably some serverless solution for this. And then you want to run Batchube. Yeah, you have AWS, EMR cluster, but now you suddenly have five things to think about. Yeah, right. And thinking about even one thing is hard enough. Um, so,
1: so your argument here is a little bit like potentially you can solve this within the AWS world in three or four or five different mm-hmm. ways, by simply by grooming everybody. Look, we, we, we like Kubernetes, we do it in this way all of a sudden you start building Lego that starts fitting together better I guess yeah. unless to think about five different versions, five different variations of how to do things that's more to maintain or yeah. more more maintain um, uh, variability or something like this
0: I think that's the, that that's uh, at least w- what I find is very valuable to it mm. you know having to run these things like a big resource is mental like having a reasonable mental model the mm. mental model can be bad but if it's at least a model it's it, you can work with it and if we were to go sorry for going a bit more techy here no, think I this is what i well, wanted actually um, yep, so
2: please. there are different ways to just administrate all the kubernetes ways you can do the core like the hell of all the different ways you, you define the resources on kubernetes or you can use helm charts or stuff yep. like that what, how, how do you admin uh, or yeah, just orchestrate all the uh, kubernetes resources
0: we have been recently we were, you know, one team, we were maybe ten, fifteen people that were some people were um keeping control of that. Now we moved that into a more of a central in our little org, mm-hmm. a central infrastructure team. But then that's after it's already built and tested. Um so they're keeping track of it. And then all of us, machine learning engineers, sometimes we fiddle with them as well. Mm-hmm. But it's it is sort of a specialized specialist uh
2: have you ever suffered from the hell of all the JAM files that otherwise is, is normally
0: used to just uh, administrate or configure the Kubernetes cluster? Oh yeah, um, but fortunately, I'm not bearing <laughs> the burden of that. I'm probably <laughs> just getting the effects of it.
2: I think this actually moves uh, nicely into the next topic, which is really what uh, your role, an ML engineer, yeah. is really about. And, and perhaps we could just try to describe, you know, the different type of roles that you do have in, in Shipstead. And then you have some people that are, you know, focus on more on the infrastructure side of things, yeah. like administrating Kubernetes. What are they
0: called? Um, we usually call them maybe data Yeah. years. Yeah. I, I, it feels like we're in the twilight right now in terms of what roles people should be using so it's like a data engineer is a position that I don't know if it's back in engineers or um the data engineers uh, I was sitting here
1: guessing mm. what were you going to answer and I was I'm was, I was, surely that must be data engineers but we all come from different legacy and, and where we have started and we've called it different things I remember when everybody was data scientists mm. right there was yeah. no differentiation between this which I think you know to some degree is useful to oh w- there is a distinct difference between data engineer i would argue to an
2: yeah n- and i think some people would argue that data engineers does not you know configure kubernetes either that's something that an infrastructure engineer would do or, okay I mean, now we th- you can you can hear the these. level of
1: sophistication here
2: it's also similar to a topic we had once before you know we can see an increase in specialization in different roles that we have mm. And it's so many different tools and services and, and things you need to know. So it's super hard for someone to know. Oh, how do I fix the Spark jobs? That could be the in- engineer part. Or how do I train a model? Well, that could be the ML engineer. ML potentially engineer. the data scientist job. Or it can be how to orge- orchestrate the, the Kubernetes thing. Or it could be how to do the ML ops and monitor all the things that happens there. And that could be another ML ops position.
1: It or, becomes super complex <laughs> now for anyone to sort of be the the uni- diff- uh, we're looking for a full stack engineer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full stack. Yeah. Okay. But you, you know what I mean? It yes, is, yes.
1: It is hard. It is hard. It's very hard to hire. But, but they basically data engineering is one broad understanding for Spark and Kubernetes, Luigi, Parkeia.
0: Yeah. I, and the is between, I think my mental model of this is basically like Maybe machine learning engineer uh, is a bit more experienced backend developer than a data scientist. Maybe a data engineer, no, a machine learning engineer is a more experienced, um, more full stack than a data scientist. Maybe a data engineer is more full stack than a machine learning engineer. Um, but th- maybe that's why we have tended to start using the, and when we hire, we hire for machine learning engineer, because when you hire data scientists right now, it could be anything from, you know, someone that is doing analytics in Google mm-hmm. um, or someone that is doing, you know, big data in Scala. And we have been hiring, at least for our team, that someone's that want to do big data analytics in Spark, but also really good at TensorFlow, you know, um, which is, yeah, maybe we need to reevaluate that because it's very hard.
1: But and I think this is super interesting. Uh, you can go
0: first uh, they're I mean up. you mentioned uh, TensorFlow. Re- is that
1: the the main framework you're using or
2: using PyTorch as well or is it the full TensorFlow
0: we moved into TensorFlow um, moved into from or, uh, so we have been running a bunch of pipelines where everything was in Spark mm-hmm. um, oh yeah from Spark to TensorFlow then. yeah okay. mm-hmm. so yeah it, we've been Spark people and we've really been a very heavy on scala shop mm. Mm. Um, but then again you know people especially the scientists tend to like python um, it's very few people can get productive fast with mm. spark or tens or spark or scala mm. um, it's immensely complex Spark. Mm. if you really yes. want to optimize it yeah. i wouldn't sure. i wouldn't so uh, so could you what are we talking about here so Python.
1: What you, What is in your opinion, or in Shipstead? Yeah. What is Python?
0: What is Python used for? Versus when Scala Spark is still used. So in our team, we have tried to do it as um, we try to do aggregations, data engineering uh, aggregations, and moving data from one point to the other. That's Spark. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the modeling part uh, has we're trying to do it in Python. Mm-hmm and TensorFlow. Um, Simply to use libraries and stuff like that, or why? To make it possible for data scientists to actually do anything with it. Okay,
1: because when you ask them to do the same stuff, but you're, you're framing them, you can only, you, need, you can do whatever you want in data science as long as you do it in Spark or Scala, shh, then people, the number
0: of people who can do that is very few. Yeah, and the joy of doing it is also maybe less for a lot of people. Um, and the number of frame, frameworks that, that you are allowed to do. Yeah. yeah so if you want to do tens- like if you want to do deep learning i'm sure there's some way to do it in scala yeah, but, here but you, have you, you have you
1: have these libraries where you, you know as you always say no professional ml engineer would start any project from scratch today
2: no not for sure
1: I and i yeah.
2: yeah i mean they don't understand as you said you know how the level of Difficulty and complexity that Spark has, for example, is extreme, and the same could be said. The same could be said for, for TensorFlow. I mean, yes, it's it's not even a consideration. You can build potentially in scratch, you know, a simple like uh, perceptron in in Python without using TensorFlow. But as soon as you scale out in any way and want to seriously, it's like impossible, right? To, it's to not use
0: it. Yeah, and it's hard enough to do it in TensorFlow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's a framework that has. Grow, been growing out of proportions in my opinion like yeah. i'm I think my home is in Pytorch, yeah um, but I also t- really like the uh, graph model of tensorflow, mm. um, well,
2: what do you think about the future then? I mean Pytorch has been growing a lot, especially yeah. in the academic sense you know and, and it is much like nicer from a like building pox. And prototypes is easier in, in pytorch but then you can argue potentially if you want to put the stuff in production then TensorFlow has some better
0: libraries and, and support for that potentially would you agree or? they have a lot of more communication about that they are good for production <laughs> and i fell for that i must agree i completely you are not that. convinced <laughs> that, that tensorflow is better than pytorch in also, your opinion i mean, like being you know your own i haven't worked w- with uh, i mean I, I was working a lot with pytorch before but i haven't worked it in on, on its maybe two years since 0.4. And I've seen that PyTorch has been maybe falling into the same traps as the same time as TensorFlow has been trying to grow out of. Mm. So the trap is basically you want to build a computational graph, which means that it's, a, you know, something that you can compile, which it supposedly is supposed to speed things up. The, th- the effect of that in TensorFlow was that it's impossible to debug. Um, PyTorch got popular because they were doing the opposite. Let's just do pure Python code. You can track every line, you can debug it, you understand what's going on. There's no magic. Mm. Um, but then they sort of at 0.45 realized that we could probably earn some speed here by adding a compiler. Um, now,
1: now people don't know what's happening anymore to the code.
0: No, I, I at least I can't go into the repo <laughs> and really tra- trace it. So that limits the amount of open source contributors that can do. Uh, and but at the same time, TensorFlow learned that okay, no one wants to use this. It's, we can't debug, so they moved into a uh, f- what do you call wh- what is it called um, eager execution? Eager execution. And now me who is trying to run graphs can do not understand when it's running eager mm. uh, so it's it's a in my opinion it's, it's sort of maybe you just need to restart the framework from scratch every two years or something when you <laughs> learn things <laughs> and i guess that's what happened with what's this new uh, that jacks or huh? Jax yeah mm. oh no, not Jax the yeah the, the one that google now uses in secret internally. Um, it's one of these pure, more numpy like uh, libraries. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I don't recall the name Ooh, of it, sorry. The, the um, scoop going on right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but it, yeah, but the X is also one of the things. Okay, yeah. I, so I what is
1: this is evolution? So people who's been down in these rabbit holes too long, they say, you know, ah! wipe it and start in a new direction. Or what are we talking about?
2: Yeah, but I think everyone is realizing that uh, TensorFlow is hard to debug and hard to understand, and we also want to use the simplicity of NumPy, for example, and then SciPy, and, and these other standardized libraries that Python has, and uh, and they want to copy also PyTorch, I think, you know, yeah. and, and it's so nice with the tape um, uh, structure they have in PyTorch, you see, you don't, it can simply do auto diff or, or Auto differentiation, you know, with the code you have, you just write the Python code with a for loop, and it can understand that. And that is, uh, I think, something that now uh, they try to do in TensorFlow. It does, you know, partly understand it or work with it, but not fully. But JAX can do that with autograd, and and also do this kind of XLA compilation. So it compiles in an automatic way to.
1: So, but is it taking? traction or is it in like some large, uh, is like Google using Jackson and that's yeah, it or?
2: No, no, it, it's certainly a popular one. I think it's still mainly used for research purposes, but, but I don't know really. Uh, but I think it, they're trying to copy each other in you know, a PyTor is mm. going the TensorFlow way and TensorFlow is going they're looking the at each way, other. They're looking at each other.
0: It's a lot of the so, same people as well. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's not, I don't think it's a competition really. I'm not sure.
1: And uh, can I ask you both, do we consider these as open source?
2: Yeah. Yeah, why not?
1: No, let, let's be cynical now. Mm. Who is behind TensorFlow?
2: But of course, but, but Google had, you know, the internal product. Um, what was the name of the internal uh, project before they released TensorFlow? <sighs> oh, shit, I forgot the name of it. That they had internal project. but that I think most of the project they have released in, in Google as open source has been internal projects, you know. Mm. Uh, and then they call it something else and, and then it becomes like TensorFlow and then they release it. So yeah. it, it is open source in that sense, but of course Google is behind like, I don't know, 60, 70% of the commits, I guess. I don't know. I don't yeah. have exact numbers for it.
1: And, and humor me now as, as a very stupid question. I mean, like in, in the in the old, like I'll take an ex- another example and you help me out if there is an equivalent. If I say Linux and we go Linux, then then we start getting sort of enterprise packages around Linux like Red Hat, mm-hmm. Do we have those, is is that existing in the TensorFlow PyTorch world or is it more pure open source?
2: Mm. It's a lot of plugins and, and packages above TensorFlow that is commercial as well, of course. Uh, I
0: don't know how much they are used though. Exactly.
2: But in Google, for example, they have the whole, um, you know, in Google Cloud, the whole, uh, uh, it was called TFX before, now it's called uh, mm. V something, uh, but, what, whatever. But they have these kind of services that they pay you, you have to pay for mm-hmm. to to just make it you know more e- easily accessible and easy to use.
1: Yeah, so this so is add it on top of TensorFlow. Yeah, so this right. is what I uh, this is this is really what I was asking for because it's like the same in in with Kubernetes. You can run native Kubernetes mm. or you can run Azure or AWS version of it as a one of yeah. the, part of their service, yeah. right?
2: So they will have their own native Kubernetes version.
1: Yeah, and now in, in TensorFlow, I guess it's the same. Could you get to the TensorFlow library uh, because Kubernetes? We know they have a native versus you know yeah. the, the AWS approach, right? Yeah. And how is it in TensorFlow is my question. Is it equivalent that you have a uh,
2: Yeah, I think basically I mean we you can run it, it as a, a, a base library but then they have commercial services built on top of it. I guess GCP GCP analytics. has yeah. it as an example, yeah.
0: right? I'm kinda of skeptical. yeah I'm, I'm and that is you know you never know what is actually meaningful. Yeah. Is it
1: meaningful to use
0: their mm-hmm. service when it's the same stuff but they put some wrapper on it or do you really want to rather use native? I haven't run into really any useful or anything that I've found useful as a machine learning service yet.
1: Do you rather use the native open source?
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's uh, just a style or a feeling, but I t- t- tend to like open source. I mean, like in the comparison between TensorFlow and Linux is, you know, there's one Francois Chollet of of Keras, I felt like he has been shaping the API a lot, Mm. Mm. Um, probably for the best. I've been fighting Keras now for years, (laughs) just trying to work around the the API a lot. But you know, it it is one of those projects that it feels like it's run by very few people in the end that's really guiding. And maybe my feeling is that PyTorch is maybe has been more transparent, but I I don't know. Mm. I think it's all good. Awesome. Uh,
2: the time is flying away no. here as well. You got and your
1: nerdy conversation
2: today, yes. mm. So
0: thanks for... Or, you know,
2: I, I was standing by you. I was, I was, no, no, no. I was standing
1: uh, by you. Not coping. Standing by.
2: But you mentioned François uh, Cholet, uh, the, the uh, author and creator of Keras as well, which is now the go-to API in TensorFlow as well. Um, and if we move to definitions of AI, more like societal kind of, you know, different philosophical kind of questions... Do you have a preferred definition of AI, AI and intelligence? He actually read the paper in 2019 about intelligence oh, right. itself. Yeah. Um, but if we start with AI, do you, do you have a preferred definition of what AI
0: is? I mean people don't tend to agree with me on this. But okay, so Good. I like that. Um, this is going to be good from the start. <laughs> yeah. I love it. If you have an if statement and you have some aggregation based on the world, that is like, you know, if the mean temperature is above thirty three, that's AI in my world. Ooh,
2: now we have to elaborate more, I think okay. can you elaborate
0: um, I mean it's, maybe it starts basing uh, based on intelligence. Mm-hmm. We are moving the goalpost of what intelligence is, but you know uh, light sensitive uh, bacteria that you know reacts on s- external stimuli. Um, I don't really see, it's more of a quantitative question about how many stimuli you can react to. So it's continuous
2: scale in some way. It can be zero or it can be 0.01 and and it can increase, right? That's how I see it. So I I haven't really, you know, I guess. So a thermometer that measures the degrees of Celsius, would you call that having intelligence?
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that, okay, it's, that, yeah, that's now we're sort of pushing the boundary, but maybe yeah. that's because we're pushed intelligence. is a word that we created. It's not, sometimes, you know, maybe it's not, it's a word, right? It doesn't necessarily need to be something that exists. No. Um, but hopefully it should be a term
2: that is of use in some cases. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you say that something is everything, like, uh, a system is a term like this I think the term system is abused a lot mm. and, and a system can be anything and if a, a term can be anything it, it ceases to have a value in some sense, it doesn't really help you by using the term if it means everything so in, in that sense I think it's nice to try to find a useful definition in some way mm. and, and I think actually I agree with you so far but I just want to still push you a bit
1: Yeah. So I. but I, I don't f- I, I'm not following right now. This is too mm. difficult for me. But but so what do you what do you what is your underlying thought that goes in this direction for the definition? So you you're saying a very concrete definition in one way, or a very mathematical definition almost.
0: <laughs> As this. I guess it, it depends also when we want to use use the d- definition. Uh, I think I'm going to try to <laughs> make the argument that uh, um, there's nothing particularly interesting or surprising about what we're doing now or what we're going to do be doing in the future with AI. Um, it's just a quantitative questions about how good we are at it. And it's not either going to be anything particularly different from what uh Bacteria would how they would react to, to light. So, so so um,
1: if I'm taking you right, you know, and this is uh, f- from a philosophical point yep. of view and and an attitude to this, we want to demystify demos- and take away the hype and the magic, and then defining something which is actually quite mundane. If I if I say it like that, yep. then we can be more and more sophisticated. Uh, so you so so you're trying to then, uh, you know, from your argument into this philosophical question is let's find a definition that is actually uh, yeah not magic or
0: uh, is is that to to understand you right i mean i I don't think it's there's anything wrong with having a word that sort of incites hype and interest i think it should be exactly you know a funny enough word to incite some hype but not over promise and uh, and make people scared Yeah. Uh, And you know it feels like we're moving into that place. Like now we're talking about AI all the time. A couple of years ago we talked about machine learning. Um but in the end we want to use the word AI. So now we're talking using that. uh, And that's fine by me. Um Do you think the term AI has
2: been used more in the recent years than previously? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Well I would agree,
1: for sure. For
2: and sure. AI has been
1: around since 1950s yeah. as well.
0: So right. In your bubble. And I mean, I, I remember. <laughs> <I'm> so old. <laughs> I in your winter filter. <laughs> I didn't read that book really well, but was it like on electricity in, ma- in men, mansion and animals where they try to define AI as, you know, if we have a machine that can do basically re- basic regression as a definition of AI. And it's... I, I think what, 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 what by going to this like you know anything that reacts to external stimuli, we can go to what we're doing now where we have models that you know maybe we don't exactly know we can't control them as well, but they can do a more wide range of tasks. It's still the same thing we need to look at it in the same way, and we don't need to um be any afraid of how it's working um but we still need to put the same constraints on you know uh how they work. Uh, as we did with anything we did in the 50s.
2: But, but if we go a bit yeah. more concrete, if we Sorry. start with just intelligence then, and, and we mm-hmm. perhaps can just start with François Chaudet's definition. And, mm.
0: um, what it is his he, this definition?
2: Yeah, so, so in short, it was basically, he said um, that intelligence is the uh, skill acquisition efficiency. Mm. And that means skill can be like playing chess, driving a car, can be predicting uh, if it's a dog in an image or not, or translating text or whatever task, it's some kind of skill that you have. And the faster you can acquire that skill, the more intelligent you are. Mm. So it was really the acquisition of it that is the term, that is the intelligence, is not having the skill. So having the skill is having knowledge, but acquiring the skill is intelligence in some way. I'm paraphrasing a Mm. bit, but, but that in short what he said. What do you think about that? Does that make
0: sense? It makes me so confused in terms. And I mean, aren't we like quantifying human intelligence because it's a good predictor for whatever we want to measure it for? Like, I don't know, we're measuring, you know, arguably if we were measuring someone to, are they going to be good at math? Maybe we can potentially uh, see how good they can rotate things in their head. That's a model to predict something else. What is I this would argue, model? To I,
2: I would say that is more a skill. And it's okay. more about acquiring the skill that's intelligent. So if you, someone wants to be good at playing tennis and they have no and never done it in, in the past, and you have two people that have the same, like two twins or something, or perhaps not twins, that's a bad example. But anyway, two people that have never played tennis mm. before and both are being trained to, to play tennis. And one of them can do that double as fast as the other. That potentially means he has bigger like motoric intelligence mm. in learning how to play tennis. Mm. Um, I think in some sense that makes sense to me at least. Um, and and I think also I think it's nice to distinguish between intelligence and knowledge. Having the skill mm. to do something is very different from acquiring it.
0: In that sense. Would you agree? Th- th- absolutely. It's and that's. Uh, uh, and thinking about it like that that's feels like a good model to you know maybe as we talked about earlier to try to figure out can this person learn for the future <laughs> but i don't know why i would be interested in seeing you know how
2: but i think for, i can move it to Michelle. ai yeah. i have this kind of connection Please. i think to this to to move it to ai and if we take like traditional like 50 60 years ago when you tried to build an intelligent system ai mm-hmm you would basically manually program it. Mm. You would manually program how to do translation, for example, and you would write all the grammatical rules and whatnot and try to do that manually. And that was really slow. It was really hard Mm. to build in the skill of doing translation, So you have to manually program it. But then suddenly we got machine learning and it could feed data into the system instead of having to manually encode all the grammatical rules. So suddenly it could much faster and Mm. to a much larger scale learn how to do translation. That means that the the efficiency of acquiring the skill to do translation was significantly improved. Therefore, intelligence in that system to do translation improved. And then with deep learning, you can also represent the data in a way that you can't otherwise with uh, traditional, like machine learning and feature engineering. So that once again, improved the efficiency of building the skill Mm. to perform translation. Therefore, intelligence improved as well with deep learning in that sense. I think it's kind of a nice yeah. analogy, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that.
1: Uh, you, you've been practicing that a couple of times in your head. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I, I like it because it, it's like... We use these words, right? And we, yeah. and, and, and you have, we have all these different human-like intelligence. So we have all these definitions yeah. with artificial intelligence is when, when the, when, when computers feels like humans, you know, you know, and, and then you can go all the way down to the old, old test. What's the test when? Turing the test. The yeah. Turing test, right? Which is completely not you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's uh, Rogerian yeah, exactly. uh, commenting, right? R- Rogerian answers. It's not intelligent at all. It's used program to make qu- question you back, whatever you're saying. So you feel like it's intelligent because it's, but it's, you know, so, so all these different definitions is sort of, I don't know if they put in us on the right path. So I kind of like when you, someone is trying to, well, could we make it very, Basic, or you know, yeah. like like you did right now. I, I, I kind of like your argument, and, and you you know you've been indoctrinating me on this one. Now. I can almost <laughs> do it in my sleep soon. <laughs> yeah, but, sorry for that, uh, but, yeah. I, but I, it's good, man, but yeah. because it's like so easy to say intelligence, right? But how do we define it properly? And 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 this distinction to knowledge, for instance, yeah. or skill. Mm. Uh, So, I don't know, why why is it, I flip it, why is it important that we have a good definition for artificial intelligence? Because it's fun to discuss. No, (laughs) but there is a couple of reasons why this is super important. Uh, What is that? Uh, I actually
2: actually don't know, I think it's more, yeah, I don't know actually. (laughs) I can just tell you a story. I know my old PhD professor, this was 1999 or something. I asked him the question, you know. He, he was a professor, first professor in AI. Uh, and, um it uh, by the way. And he, I asked him the question in, in the end of 90s, saying, you know, how would you define? You are the, the most knowledgeable person in AI. How do you define AI? And he replied saying, why do you want to know that? And said, "Well, I'm going to do research in it. I have to know, you know, you have to have a good definition." I said, hi, Just speak about other concrete stuff." Uh, he thinks the he didn't think that there is a big purpose of having a perfect definition of AI. Actually, no, and and uh, he didn't think it. So. He did not no. think it was a big. It's fun for <laughs> philosophical purposes, but it's not really a useful thing. Okay,
1: so I'm not saying this is useful. I'm 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 observing a problem. Yeah. When you have a very unclear definition of AI, mm. and that problem is, for instance, when we now try to regulate AI. Yes, mm.
2: good point. This is a very good point.
1: So actually. basically, if you don't, if you, how the hell will you regulate anything if you can't agree upon what it is? Yeah. So for me, if we, I mean, like for me, when we talk about ethical AI and we're going down that direction, we need to agree upon some form of definition in order to build a mental model that we can regulate. That to me is quite important. Yes,
2: and the current definition in the new AI, upcoming AI Act is um, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yes, <laughs> let's call it that. Hmm. Have you have you been into regulation or anything in any way in Shipstead or is that Shipstead
0: has been active in this discussion? Um, I'm not very well read into um, what our position is, but I think our basic position is that you know, like this regulation has to be. Um, it has to be actionable and there's seems like there's too much vague, vagueness in it right yeah. now to be actionable yeah. um and if it's not actionable it can also you know discredit uh, small players yes. we need to have you know some kind of way to uh, encourage small actors to be able to take part of the uh, machine learning th- space.
1: this is so in line with what we with all the guests and and sitting here now for 54 episodes, is sort of the major problems of of the AI divide. Now I'm going to take a shot at what I see is the problem Mm. and not the problem. The, The major problem is not that we have some tech giants moving ahead. The major problem is the tail, which are the small players that are not getting a fair chance to even participate in the future society. So, I, I and you know, we shouldn't point fingers at the, the big players We should applaud them for helping us move mankind forward, mm. but we damn near, we can't lose the, you know, the tail end, which is the majority of people yeah, if we want an inclusive a, world. Thing. So we need to work on the AI divide, but f- with the right objective, with the right focus, which is the tail end, in my opinion. don't don't worry so much about what they are doing and regulating them worrying about regulation in order to be fair be be right but make sure it's actionable for the little people for the smaller companies i think that would really flip it how you would look how do you think imagine you know someone wants to do a startup
2: right now and, um, and they are interested in getting into ai for example and we have you know, a number of things that is challenging for them to get into. It could be the tech problem, of course, of knowing all the stuff, but you can learn that skill. um, And if you start up, you can do some shortcuts perhaps. But there is a big problem with the regulation. And and the problem, if we just take GDPR and and ignore the upcoming, you know, regulation that is on the way, um, you could see at least from GDPR that they had the intention, which was really good, of course, we we, we all love the intention of GDPR and, and preserve pri- privacy with ships that, of course, is very concerned with as well. But then it led to that you know it was very easy for the tech giants to, and the big companies. Ships does is a big company as well, mm. so they can actually do conform to the regulation that exists.
1: You have the, you have the tech stack to to manipulate and work with the data, and you have the lawyers. I mean, like mm. the better systems you have, the more easy it is to comply.
2: So the Problem potentially and I want to know if you agree is that with increased regulation and increased amount of work you have to do to conform with all the requirements you have to do it will actually increase the divide between what a startup can do and what larger corporations can do hmm. do you think that's a problem?
0: Would you agree with us? I mean personally and the regulation that I come into contact with is with GDPR I hmm. I feel that it's only a blessing I don't personally I only wow. it's so easy to have you know whatever your intuition is about is this a fresh thing to do with someone else's data now you're not allowed to do it um, it's I, I really don't see any problems, and you know I don't know That's what the first, use actually it's I don't know what the use case would be for a startup to play around with my personal data in a Google spreadsheet or something
1: but i I think now this is very interesting because I'm thinking you're you're proving the point on the AI divide in person because a person that is working on this in a mature way in a mature company. And who has understood gdpr has the training and has worked on this problem and you have encountered this problem before and after and you've been on your mind about it ah it is a sigh of relief because now now i can understand these playing rules and i basically i can tackle that no problem if i go to a less mature person in this field they get paralyzed so i think we are now you know you are actually in in one way um, you're not scared of it because you know and understand how it works and what it means. The scary point is for the people who are not deep understanding the data implications of it and they get paralyzed. That, this, is, this is
0: how yeah. I interpret when you say it's a relief. I mean, this is absolutely my personal opinion, but maybe some things you maybe shouldn't be doing if you don't have perfect understanding of what you're doing, which is example Dealing with other persons, people's personal data.
2: But just take a clickstream, for example. Yep. You you have, you know, what people are clicking on on Aftam and whatnot. You have that data and, and that can be considered as personal information if you know who was doing what, etc. Right. And then a startup comes up and they have an awesome idea of how we can use uh, the clickstream to come up with a completely new way, innovative way to do churn prediction, for example. Mm you could never in Shipstep publish a dataset with that data that would enable people to innovate on it, right? That would be very hard. Yes. Um, And perhaps right rightly so, but you see the point here with it's hard to, you know, if you you take the problem with GDPR that you have to say in advance, what you're going to use the data for and let the um, the users give consent for that, if you want to be innovative and say, I have a completely new idea. I want to use the data for that. You're not allowed to do so, right? And, and that, that could potentially be a, a limiting factor for innovation. Yeah, it could right? be.
0: But me as a user, would I want someone to do something completely innovative that I did not give consent to?
2: That's Let's say it's a it's a way to minimize ads. Then yep. says, okay, so so we want to I want to have more relevant ads, and I want to by simply showing me fewer ads, but only ads I'm really interested in. That would be a super useful thing mm. for a user, and everyone should want that to happen. So you have less irrelevant mm. ads being shown to me. If someone comes up with an awesome algorithm for doing so, that would be a benefit for the user. But can we even Provide data to allow yeah. that type of innovation to happen. See my point? Yeah.
0: I'm, now I'm, I'm in my head thinking about how to move data into this startup yeah. so that they can manage it. Yeah. And it Compar- has to be compared to
2: banks, for example, yeah. banks have this kind of you know, regulation that they are required to provide APIs with certain data. That mm. actually enables people to innovate quite a lot so we have a lot of like financial startups coming up now because of that and uh, and i think that's that's a nice thing mm. right but we we don't have the same type of innovation i think happening for a lot of other types yeah. of data and i i would argue that's because of gdpr hmm. interesting i'm not saying we should remove gdpr because the intention is of course awesome and we all should have it it's just it we we need to do it in a way so it doesn't hamper innovation and startups. That's what I'm. And, and and why
1: why is that a problem? Well, I, I answer it because in other parts of the world they don't have those hampering mm. handbrake sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So th- this becomes a problem because on a global scale there's an uneven playing field. Mm. Uh, I would argue because if 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 GDPR was was regu- you know the policy everywhere and everybody was following it. Mm. It was. It would be an even playing field again, and then we could figure it out. But isn't it that it's so n- local in in some ways? So if in I Europe, take, yeah. is that the problem? I don't like know. Because I think ham-
2: Facebook was. Uh, no, but it's you know, hampering
1: to m- to remove
2: all the services from Europe recently. Actually, <laughs> no, but it's hampering innovation.
1: Well, if it's if it's in an even way hampering innovation, mm. is that a problem? It's, I think it's the uneven hampering of yes. innovation that is the problem.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I think so too.
1: Mm. Difficult Mm, questions. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, so so a lot of the data that you're talking about is also of a different domain like tabular data, clickstream data. That is something that hasn't been developing for what I think mainly is another reason. It's not the easy format of data to work with. Where we have seen development is, you know, I think one strong reason is in image and text Mm. is it's a super simple format portable, mm-hmm. uh, easy to work with. It's not easy to work with, but it's at least portable. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of unstructured and weird data that we have in companies. I mean, we're struggling sometimes to, you know, organize it ourselves or, you know, have a s- systematic format of it because there's so many different ways you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I would mm-hmm. doubt that portability of this data is a, and the legal constraints is, is the biggest problem. It feels like it, it's, there's a lot of things we haven't solved yet for tabular data, which is the most common, mm. probably. That's interesting. So the
1: tabular data, if you if you ask your database guys, they will see, oh, this is the easy part and the unstructured data is the hard part. But you're arguing actually tabular data has other complications. Or
0: yeah. It, and
1: because they, had, they have different semantics they mean different things and
0: so if you have a if you have a database person, you probably have it already in similar simple tablet data but a lot of i know a lot of companies, including us, we have rather f- went into very nested and advanced JSON structures mm. um which is suddenly forces you to think of new ways to you can't put it in a database you have to either use maybe Specific databases that can handle the, those data, like uh, what do you call it, Snow, okay. Snowflake, or Snowflake, or Snowflake, or maybe you have to use Spark. Stores, and if you yeah. need Spark, you need a billion engineers to understand it. Um, yeah. So, so it. Yeah. Tough things. I mean, there are so many
2: things we need to solve. I think to to make data available for everyone and AI available for any, everyone, and um, it's not a, the, the technical skills are, are a hard problem, but there are. Much more than you need to to be able to cope with to properly do it mm. in an ethical and legal way, so to speak. Right. Awesome. Uh, let's perhaps you end in, in some more positive and, and fun topic than uh, no, <laughs> legal constraints. A good constraints. topic, but let's yeah. let's
1: do yeah. let's do yeah, do a fun topic if you have one you think about.
2: Uh, yeah, and there's so many here, but okay. Um, if we take a general one, uh, you know, AI can be used and data can be used on so many different topics. Uh, and we can, we have so many challenges in the world that we have today. We have, you know, climate change happening. Uh, we have poverty. We have problems with education. We have an energy problem. We have, you know, so many things happening. Uh, we have <laughs> medical pandemics happening and, and we need to find better ways to do that. But we also have abuses of of data in so many ways uh, and deep fakes back and forth in different ways. But if we take all these into context and and think, you know, would you be more an optimist or a pessimist in what AI will do in coming five years? Will AI be more used for abuse or more used for positive uh, consequences Hmm. when it comes to society?
0: I feel like the time for abuse is sort of over. We've moved into what to do with AI, what it was intentionally defined for in my definition, Mm -hmm. statistics, like simple things. You know, statistics was used to make beer slightly cheaper to produce. Uh, most of the a <laughs> no, lot of statistics that's was a good purpose beautiful purpose beautiful
2: purpose you know beer price is going to go up because of the lack of malt or something uh, <laughs> it's a big problem with the can- canadian harvest or something oh. so
0: <laughs> maybe we can fix that but yeah, yeah, so i mean yeah. i really think that the big gains in ai machine learning is going to be incremental that we can make big problems incrementally better yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't, I've sort of lost a lot of the hopes in, you know, this big leaps, uh, at least for now.
1: Do you don't see, I mean, like I, 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 I have, I've shared this uh, picture. Um, I've used it in, in many speeches that AI is not the flick of a switch mm. and then you're AI ready or you're no. AI, so this is a journey. And we will, for the foreseeable future, I've, this is my, I'm quoting myself, drip feed more data, better data, more algorithms, better algorithms into our, any process we use. So mm-hmm. any business process, anything we do, will we drip feed more smarter ways to use data and AI. It's a journey. Yeah. And, and that's what you're saying. It's, it, it, it's, it's going to have a huge impact but it's going to creep up on us because we're going to drip feed into better data and more algorithms. And it this takes is, this a long is, time. And, I mean and it's, it's going to have huge impact and it's going to be the impact everybody promised, but it's not going to be a flick of a switch.
0: I think it's going to have a marginal impact, but marginal impact is a good thing, but over a long period of time. But if, but if, you,
1: if, you, if, you, if you go on that marginal impact, impact and you, you're thinking about compounding effects, that's true. so you having you know have you have fem- five different items in a process and then a marginally improved with one mm. percent in each mm. one the compounding impact is fantastic and i think oh. this is how you get to 10x with 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 AI. yeah and perhaps uh,
2: ray Kurzweil is correct with his exponential increase in power in different ways who knows
0: mm. but that's really where, where i hope it's going to go you know also when a lot of people that maybe have been focusing a little bit too much on speech text and language are moving into this you know boring fields of ai mm. whatever it's going to be that's where we get time series we get healthcare stuff we get boring tablet data that we can suddenly do things with
1: but mm. now we're connecting back all the way to who is Who'd, who is our guest today? Okay. What, do, what did you start with? I love boring,
0: boring fun, fun solutions, fun boring problems. problems. It's a boring fun problems. problems. So boring it's a little
1: problems. bit back to, you know, yeah. there are so much things we can do with, with more modern technology approaches and algorithms back to the basics. Yeah. But with the not basics in terms of how we solve them, but the core problem, the core data. That's another
2: t-shirt. Boring problems, fun solutions. Egil yeah, like right? Yeah, that's <laughs> a great that. one. Egil. Egil. That's an awesome Really good Egil. Egil um, um what's next in your life? Privately, professionally, uh, do you have anything happening?
0: Can oh, um, I think, hopefully we'll take a short trip to Palo Alto. Oh. Um, just I'm just going to be taking DC um, and getting a sense for, you know, just for vacation? Just for or? vacation. We're oh, okay. um, taking
1: a vacation to a place that is sort of a ticking. Yes,
0: my, I. I hopefully my girlfriend will visit uh, um, a school there for a while um, to do some research, um, and so that's what's next in my life.
1: L- a little bit longer vacation, it sounds like.
0: No, it's a, it's just a little trip actually. Okay. Um, but awesome. In my life, I'm just trying to right now. I've been focusing on. You know being a better engineer you know learning the habits of what it takes to run a big systems mm. um, do you have any sightseeing and plans for coming in palo alto and going to go to I don't hacker know. way one streets or that's what i hope i hope that they started up doing meetups there because i mm. really want to check uh, out what's going on in that scene yeah. but maybe palo like maybe silicon valley is out it's last I
1: don't know. Corona-wise, I
0: have no clue. <laughs> yeah, I <don't> know. <laughs> it's, it's not cool, cool anymore. Yeah. No, no. It's still so cool. I right? think I it's think cool. I, hope,
2: hope, I think hopefully it's, it's not accelerating at least uh, anymore as it has in the past. And I think that's a good thing if it's not. And I, know, I, I think that's the case, actually. But who knows? Awesome. Um, do you have anyone that you would recommend uh, to this podcast, That someone that you would like to listen to as well? Um,
0: Um, Yeah, so I think you would have a very good discussion with uh, Agnes Stenbom, which is, uh, she's a PhD candidate and uh, thinking deep and a lot about ethical AI and how to do, um, and also legal and political aspects of AI. Mm. Um, She's interesting. She's that chipset as well. Yes. (laughs) She's... uh, and I sh- mean,
2: that's a topic we haven't really touched that m- much
0: here. No, yet, so and I mean,
1: because we, we've been talking about, we, we int, you know, we are talking about ethics a little bit, but we yeah. have also, th- to get to political or geopolitical dimensions of AI, we have said that would be super interesting. Mm-hmm. So that is a good, yeah. it's a good idea. She Not also a
0: has made this framework work that we're trying to use now, which is called FAIR, which is a sort of a... Did you have
2: to call it FAIR as well? Okay, yeah. Do you Facebook AI research? That's the acronym for
0: Fair. Maybe I'm starting it wrong. Uh, could be. <laughs> it. But otherwise, uh, which is you know, practical guide to how you can think when you're starting a machine learning project mm. to w- not have do anything foolish.
2: I, I remember actually we, we want to use the FAIR acronym as well at one point, but then when we saw what, what was Facebook AI research, then ah we can't use that. But now mm. the, the meta AI, so perhaps it's okay to use FAIR again. It's actually... Fast.
0: Oh, it's fast. Fast. Double A. Yeah, but, but
1: you, you were a pal, right? Yes, exactly. I told you, I researched it. What? Spotify was that? Share? How, how? How did you get to the Share. <laughs> <S-sar>. Share. <laughs> no, we <just> have
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Egil it has been a true pleasure to have you here and we i think yeah i don't know how many topics we didn't have time to cover but mm-hmm. perhaps we can continue that discussion in the after after work as we usually do um, but thank you very much for coming here it's been a true pleasure to have you here.
1: awesome conversation today thank, thank you, very you much. thank you
2: for inviting me